This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. In an extraordinary fiscal intervention, Kwasi Kwarteng, Britain's Chancellor of the Exchequer, unveiled a, quote, mini-budget for boosting growth through large tax cuts and increased government spending. The British pound dropped to a 37-year low in response as investors fretted over the massive borrowing that will be required to fund his proposals. Britain's debt management office confirmed that the government will borrow an extra £72 billion, or $80 billion, this year to fund the package. Rachel Reeves, the Labour Party's shadow chancellor, criticized the mini-budget for rewarding the rich. UN investigators said that Russia has committed war crimes in Ukraine. The experts, whose inquiry had been commissioned by the UN Human Rights Council in May, said they were, quote, struck by the large number of executions in the areas they visited. They also observed, quote, consistent accounts of ill-treatment and torture, and documented a wide range of crimes committed against children. Armenia and Azerbaijan accused each other of violating a ceasefire that had been agreed last week. On Friday morning, Armenia's defense ministry announced that Azerbaijani armed forces had fired on Armenian combat positions. In response, Azerbaijan's defense ministry said that Armenia had attacked first. Fighting between the two countries earlier in the month left nearly 200 soldiers dead. As sham referendums on joining Russia unfolded in Russian-controlled areas of Ukraine, Ukrainian authorities reported that some residents were being forced to vote. Some employees were told they would be fired unless they voted. Both the Ukrainian government and Western leaders have declared the referendums illegitimate. Silvio Berlusconi, a former Italian prime minister, was widely condemned at home and abroad after saying that Vladimir Putin had been pushed into invading Ukraine and sought only to impose a, quote, government made up of decent people on the country. Mr. Berlusconi, a longtime associate of Mr. Putin's, insisted that his views had been oversimplified. His Forza Italia party is part of a right-wing coalition expected to win Italy's general election on Sunday. Hong Kong axed its hotel quarantine requirement for inbound travelers. Arrivals will instead go through three days of, quote, medical surveillance at home, during which they will be allowed to leave their residences for select destinations, excluding restaurants and bars. Earlier on Friday, Japan also announced the easing of COVID-19 border restrictions from next month, seen as a way to revive tourism and bolster the sliding yen. Ebrahim Raisi, Iran's president, said the death of Masa Amini while in police custody must be steadfastly investigated. Ms. Amini died after morality police arrested her for allegedly violating headscarf rules, sparking protests across the country in which human rights groups say 31 people have died. Mr. Raisi warned protesters that, quote, acts of chaos were unacceptable. And word of the week, Nanaria Swifte the scientific name for a millipede given to honor Taylor Swift, the American pop star. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Schultz of Arabia
Olaf Scholz, Germany's chancellor, is visiting three Gulf states this weekend in a bid to shore up energy supplies and dampen prices. With imports of oil and gas from Russia cut off and power-hungry firms and households facing steep winter bills, Europe's biggest economy is sliding towards a recession. Mr. Schultz will turn on the charm in Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and the United Arab Emirates, all big energy exporters, arguing that it is in their own long-term interest to calm markets and keep customers happy. Germany is particularly keen to secure liquefied natural gas deliveries from Qatar, which vies with America and Australia as the top exporter of the fuel. But the toughest meeting on Mr. Schultz's first visit to the region as chancellor may be with Mohammed bin Salman, the Saudi crown prince. The kingdom's record on human rights and its messy entanglement in Yemen's civil war have not endeared the Saudi leader to German public opinion. Political protests in Angola when supporters of Angola's main opposition party take to the streets on Saturday, they will know that their cause is just, and their chances of success slim. The National Union for the Total Independence of Angola, UNITA, says last month's election was rigged by the ruling party and its former enemy in the country's civil war, the People's Movement for the Liberation of Angola, MPLA. UNITA has a case. Tallies collected by NGOs suggest the result was a near tie, yet the Electoral Commission announced that the MPLA won 51 percent of the vote. Without a majority, the party's grip on power would have been at risk. Alas, the courts, the commission, and, most importantly, Angola's security apparatus are all under its thumb. So UNITA's protests will probably be defeated peacefully or otherwise. The only comfort it can take is that given President João Lourenço's disappointing record, the opposition will only grow in strength in Africa's largest oil producer. Sydney, a new look at a Hollywood trailblazer. The rags-to-riches life story of Sidney Poitier, as recounted in a new documentary about the trailblazing actor just released, is as compelling a narrative as any in his films. Sir Sidney's parents were poor Bahamian tomato farmers. As a teenager, he was taught to read by a Jewish waiter in New York. He went on to become one of Hollywood's first black leading men, starring in hits like The Defiant Ones and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, the first black winner of an Academy Award for acting for Lilies of the Field, and a director of raucous comedies such as Stir Crazy. Oprah Winfrey, the documentary's producer, and other friends speak of him with love and respect. But the highlights of Sidney are the archive interviews with the actor himself, who died in January at the age of 94. The towering dignity and authority that made him a superstar can be seen in every clip. Juanes, a Colombian rock star, plays in America. Juanes returns to the American stage in San Diego on Saturday to promote his album Origen. The Colombian singer, a winner of three Grammy Awards and 26 Latin Grammys, will also release a new album in the coming months. His songs unite traditional Colombian rhythms with rock instrumentation, giving him rock star status in his homeland. Born in 1972 and growing up in 1980s Medellin, a city terrorized by Pablo Escobar's drug cartel and guerrilla fighters, music provided an emotional escape. Quote, we clung to it as if our lives depended on it, he recalled. His breakthrough hit was Fijate Bien, a song about Colombia's ubiquitous landmines. 
In 2008, his Peace Without Borders concerts attempted to create cross-border civilian unity amid the diplomatic crisis unfolding between Colombia, Ecuador, and Venezuela. His career spans a turbulent period of Colombian history, but also a time of change. Last month, Colombia's first-ever left-wing president took office. Weekend Profile William Kentridge, South African Artist Using just a stick of charcoal and a crisp sheet of white paper, William Kentridge tries to make sense of a messy world. Over and over, he traces a line, smudges it a little, rubs it out, and traces it anew. His mediums are many, his subjects wide-ranging. The Russian Revolution, the great colonial wars of the 20th century, the inequities of his native South Africa, first under apartheid and then democratic rule, doubt, migration, and the slipperiness of history are recurring themes. Aged 67, Mr. Kentridge is in the flush of his career and having a moment. This month, quote, self-portrait as a coffee pot, a documentary series chronicling his studio practice, had its premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival. In London, he is involved in three shows. A retrospective at the Royal Academy of Arts opening on Saturday is packed to the gunwales with his drawings, sculptures, and sets for theater and opera. Starting on October 6th, the Barbican will stage performances involving music and dance by South African artists developed at Mr. Kentridge's incubator in Johannesburg. Also next month, Goodman Gallery will screen Oh to Believe in Another World, a stop-motion film set to Dmitry Shostakovich's Tenth Symphony. Shostakovich composed the symphony around the time of Joseph Stalin's death. Its explosive second movement is said to evoke state terror. Mr. Kentridge uses marionettes to explore the composer's attitudes towards Stalin and the Soviet Union. The film resembles a collage. Like much of Mr. Kentridge's work, it implies that history itself is a process of alighting, distorting, and stitching things back together. For the impatient viewer, these works may be noisy and confusing, but it's worth persisting. Quote, one of the hard things to realize, says Mr. Kentridge, is the edge of who one is, of what your imagination can produce. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Vyas Prasad, Singapore, North America, Katya Butramova, Toronto, Canada, Central and South America, Martin Whittle, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Europe, Arvid Skalgen, Hamburg, Germany, Africa, Alisa Green, Chauma, Zambia, Oceania, Christopher and Annie Jones, Sydney, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of Moths, Bass, Michael Foote, Moses Basket, and Hard Times. The theme is that these are all words that can be used as prefixes for ball, mothball, baseball, football, basketball, and hardball. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from F. Scott Fitzgerald, who was born on this day in 1896. You don't write because you want to say something. You write because you have something to say. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. 
and subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.